77 WABC and Tumble Towers Foundation present 9-11, 22 years later. Now, here's Sid Rosenberg. Hour number two, 9-11-2023. Uh, I got a ton, and I mean a ton, of messages from folks who really appreciated that first hour. Though we did a great job, especially that first segment. That was a great segment. What I was doing that morning, what I was doing the night before, kind of eerie, 22 years later, Giants playing football, not a football segment, football mentions, because football is a part of the history of both of those days, today and 22 years ago. But we have uh, Norman Seabrook, of course, was great, too. But Curtis Sliwa, who does a tremendous job every day, noon to one, every weekday afternoon, gets huge ratings. Weeknights, uh, we, I should say weekends on the overnights, does a great job, too. Great job. And, of course, what arguably does his best work right here next to me every weekday morning. You're going to join me right now. And, uh, well, Curtis, I have to ask you the same question I asked Norman Seabrook and everybody else. What were you doing that morning? Where were you working? What, were you doing the morning show here? No, that was Imus. No, Imus was at WFAN. Were you here? Let me just say, first of all, that opening of yours was very emotional. Thank you. It connected us back to what was going on. You're right. The night before, there had been football. People were getting in late. In fact, some people did not perish in the attack on 9-11 because they had been at the game the night before. Right. They, they, went, not they been... went to Denver. They went to Denver to watch that game, and others stayed up late in sports bars all over New York City yep. watching the Giants and Broncos and got to work late. So, like you said, their lives were, were spared. Well, in um, fact, I was the night before uh, down in West Palm Beach. Uh, Paul Carlucci, who you've met, the publisher of The Post. I love him. Had me speaking before a convention of News America Marketing. Uh, they're the ones who put out the coupons. So all the women who go out there and actually sell the coupons and go in the stores. And I gave a fire and brimstone speech. But I'm trying to get back to New York. It's raining all throughout Florida. Flights are being canceled. I got to get back. I can't let Ron Kuby be on the air on his own. But yet, remember, we don't even know there's going to be the attack on 9-11. So were you guys back then, you and Kuby, doing the morning show here at WABC? Yes, competing yes. against you guys over at the fan. <laughs> yeah, or right. trying to compete. Right. Uh, and then I got back in time. I had flown into Reagan National Airport, took the Amtrak in. We began to do the program. And the first plane hit that World Trade Center site, and I immediately said, it's a terrorist attack. The program You, you that, knew when the first plane hit it was a terrorist attack? Absolutely. You can ask to this day over at AM 970, uh, Phil Boyce. He was our program director at the time. He said, if you say that again, I'm going to pull you right off the air. I said, no, no, I was just down to Brian and Seneca in Hunts Point at the fire department. They were practicing. In case of terrorist attacks, what do you do in the high-rise buildings? Eddie Brown, who became the treasurer, he just recently retired. He was telling me, here's the manual. This is what we have to do in the World Trade yeah, Center yeah. site. But, but, but what was it about that plane? Because, again, you had the Corey Lytle thing with the Yankees and – no one could have imagined that was a commercial jet. 99.99% of the folks out there had no idea it was terrorism. What made your gut say that? What because was it? they kept telling us they were going to attack. I mean, remember, from Afghanistan, 
uh, when John Miller went over there to uh, remember do that exclusive interview with Osama bin Laden, they said that we're coming for you. And, and these people are relentless. Remember, they're in caves. They're out there tending to their goats. Right. They do nothing <laughs> yeah. more. Like right now, they're sitting in their caves, looking at our poorest borders, realizing we get them a third time. Yeah. The thir- third time can be the well, job. You make a good point. A third time. It's not like they didn't try it before. Eight years earlier, under Bill Clinton's watch, they did bomb the World Trade Center. Six people died that day, not nearly 3,000. Six died. But to your point, they had done it the same exact site just eight years prior. Remember, who was their inspiration for that first attack? Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman, remember? Yeah. The blind-eyed Sheikh wearing that Santa Claus hat who was saying death to America, death to Israel. A lot of times we don't listen to what the terrorists are telling us. They basically let us know exactly what they want to do. They want to hit. That area, again, a third time, and we're making it so easy now because there's no checks and balances at the border. I see guys praying five times a day outside the Roosevelt Hotel. All it takes is a few who came in from North Africa where you have cells of ISIS and al-Qaeda that are very prevalent. Mauritania, some of these countries, and Chad, the Sudan, Senegal. So who are we kidding ourselves? We're basically opening up the gates to allow terrorists to come in and attempt again to run the board and attack us because they think that's the area where the most Jews are and that's the epicenter of the financial strength of America throughout the Western civilized world. It's going to be hard, though, to orchestrate. You had 19 different terrorists. You had uh, different flights, uh, Los Angeles, Boston, New Jersey. It's going to be hard to orchestrate something like that. But, you know, listen, all it took was one guy in a car. Halloween, not that long ago here in New York, to once again put the fear in God in all of us. I think he killed eight people that day. So I'm not sure they'll ever pull off what they did 22 years ago. They don't really have to. Well, well, remember, what did we form in the aftermath of 9-11? Homeland Security? We started ICE. ICE. 2003. I'll never forget. March 1st, 2003. Department of Homeland Security announced that we have ICE, a specialized unit that each and every day will go out and with detainers will bring in people who've overstayed their visas for education, for work, and those who have terrorism on their mind. This is what ICE does each and every day. That's why they put on bulletproof vests. That's why they go out and deal with the really bad hombres. Remember, as Donald Trump described it, we have neutered, we have rendered ICE impotent. That Andrew Cuomo was out there calling them thugs, remember? Eric Adams was calling them thugs. We don't allow ICE to even interact with our local law enforcement because we're a sanctuary city, a sanctuary state. Those are the men and women on the front line. They know who the terrorists are. We don't let them do their job. But you see, we never learn from history. We're going to get hit again, I'm telling you, Sid. It is so obvious that some mutt, some scales in caves in Yemen, Afghanistan are plotting their revenge because they have nothing to do all day but plot revenge. Well, I think you're right. And certainly when you look at the uh, exit, that horrible exit by Biden and his administration in Afghanistan, which left 13 of our brave people dead, uh, people said right then and there, al-Qaeda, ISIS, the Taliban, you name the group, they are uh, getting together now and starting to figure out the next way to do this. But you told me something very interesting uh, last week, that day, something about fish kill? No, what no, is that all about? Fish kill. Well, first off, because I've been leading the rallies right there at St. John Vila Academy, 
It's just two blocks away from Fingerboard Road. Do you know what's on Fingerboard Road before you hit Highland Boulevard? It's called Angel Circle. There are commemoration stones to everyone from Staten Island who perished in the attack and in the aftermath of 9-11. Per capita, per person, Staten Island suffered more losses. I don't think so. I think my community actually, Rockland, uh, Rockland, I almost said, Bell Harbor, the Rockaways, Breezy. I think we suffered the most. In fact, there's a beautiful park right by the Dwayne Reed on or about, I, I can't name the street, maybe 117. I won't which argue, I go I to, won't argue I, with I that. Believe, but I believe, I believe that both. they may be second right. to that. Both. Yeah. But this is a beautiful commemoration to all those who were lost. And still, as was mentioned, continue to die as a result of Christine Todd Whitless. Remember, the former governor of New Jersey who <laughs> yes. failed. The Peter principle, she got kicked upstairs at the EPA chiefess and said, oh, you don't need hazmats, you don't need masks, you don't need gloves. It's okay to breathe the air. And how many continue to die? But the one area that nobody ever talks about, I was given privy to, with that same individual that you just recently met, Johnny Legit, Paul Carlucci, the publisher of The Post, a guy named Jerry Camarada, who worked for Giuliani and his administration for the Department of Education, had to go around and check on all these acts. Everybody had a job. He said, Curtis, Paul, let's go to Freshkills, uh, the landfill that had just been closed, the world's largest landfill. And when we rode to the top of it, Oh, my God, everything that you saw at the World Trade Center site was being transported there by barge. It was being spread on the ground. There were men and women with little rakes and hazmat suits who were looking for the smallest particuli. And how far was that from the actual uh, Ground Zero site? Well, it's all the way over to where New Jersey meets Staten Island, you know, where you can almost touch, uh, reach out and touch Perth Amboy, where you see uh, the uh, Bayonne Bridge, the Outer Bridge Crossing, And, I mean, the methane gas percolating up, there were pools of water because methane gas continues to pour up from that landfill. So not only are the men and women there who were looking for any remnant to be able to bring closure to families, not only are they getting sick and they're dying too now, but they don't really get recognized in the same capacity. I saw all the wrecks from the fire department trucks, to every car that was crushed, everything. It was like a scene out of Apocalypse Now. They had the carnage tent. They were doing identifications. And these men and women couldn't even leave fresh kills. They had to eat their food up on that mountain of debris that they mm. were going through. Mm. It was the most unbelievable location that I got sick just being up there inhaling that methane gas. Can you imagine... What would happen to those men and women day in, day out, that was their responsibility. On their hands and knees, raking for the smallest identifiable uh, fiction, sometimes only to be identified by their DNA. There was nothing left, I know. You know, when we were at WFAN, your competition at the time, things changed so dramatically. I'm sure every station did. But I remember that day Mike Francesa saying on the air, one more of these and we'll never talk sports again. I was told to go home. And I was not allowed to do my midday show with Jody McDonald and talk sports. We basically became a news station between Don Imus and Mike and the Mad Dog for an entire week, maybe two weeks, I forget. What was the case here at WABC? Did your job change at all, longer hours, longer days, or was it basically the same? Well, that day of the attack, uh, both I and Ron Kuby, whose mommy is a commie, had to work straight through to 5 o'clock. 
It was the first day of Sean Hannity's national show. Here. He, he could not get into the city. They had to put a, a, a facsimile studio out where he was so he could broadcast. It was the first day of rollout. He was magnificent. And everybody came together. There were no commercials. And remember, there was no Internet at that time where you got news. Everything was rumor and you in the window. They were talking about attacks on the Capitol building itself. Uh, they were talking about car bombs going off. And we had to try the best of our ability to slap down all those rumors because there was no TV. Remember, when the towers went down, that's it. There were no more broadcasts. Everybody had to listen to radio to get their information. And, boy, we had to be spot on because people were depending on us like they hadn't depended on radio uh, until back in the golden age of radio when there was no TV. So the pressure was on you guys at the fan. Pressure was on us. And I will never forget that program director, Phil Boyce, who said, you say that one more time, I'll pull you off the air. Did I ever get an apology for that? No. Well, you never get apologies. Never. Whether you, whether you tell them the migrants are coming to Floyd Bennett Field or coming to Staten Island or coming to Queens or this was a terrorist attack, Curtis Sliwa never gets any apologies. No. Ever. And uh, I'll never forget that morning until the day I die. Well, because Phil Boyce is a big jerk-off anyway, so. No, no. Well, the point was he was, no, doing, the point. <laughs> he was doing what corporate, the I, corporate I know, folks know, would but, do at that point. Yeah. But I'll tell you this, Sid. Warner Wolf, he was magnificent on the fan. I didn't listen to it live. I listened to it late. later on. He became our partner at WABC. Yes. Boy, his description at the World Trade Center, you know, forget sports. This guy was just a great and still is a great commentator. And he brought everything that occurred. In fact, once I got off my shift at 5 o'clock, I ran down to what had become the world's largest crematorium. Pictures and video will never do never justice do to justice. the pile. No, you're right. And a year later, it was still smoldering. I the know. smell of death in the air. People, you cannot forget. The rest of the country has forgotten it. Oh, of course they have. And we actually moved to Battery Park afterwards. I'm embarrassed to admit it. Because an apartment that once went for four thousand dollars, we got for nineteen hundred. They were still finding epidermis skin on the air conditioning units outside of our building, but we went there. We moved from Chelsea to Battery Park, and you're right, the smell was still there. Talking about Warner's uh, call in that day, Curtis. Now that you mentioned it, let's go back and take a listen. This is when the tower went down live from Imus in the morning, courtesy of WFAN on that morning. Lewis, this is cut number six. It's gone. It's it's gone. It collapsed. It's gone. It's not there. The whole tower. The whole tower. It's gone. Yeah, there's only one tower. Oh God, this is this is horrible. It's gone. It's not there. It's like it it disappeared. It just collapsed. How close are you to that, Warner? I'm looking straight at it. I'm good. I'm, Lord, I'm just I uh, uh, man, I can't believe what I'm seeing. No, it's I can't believe it. There you have it. Warner Wolf calling into Imus that morning, 22 years ago today. Now, it was amazing radio. And again, people didn't realize that soon after, when the towers all imploded, there was no more TV coverage. You know, people without TV, it's like you, 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 they can't function. Yeah. They had to listen to radio. There were no commercials on radio. Well, every morning show that day, I think uh, Imus and Charles also wrote till about 5 o'clock that yes. afternoon. Howard Stern who uh not exactly as good as those guys, but he stuck around till about 4 or 5 o'clock. You and Kubi stuck around 
till 5 o'clock, so I feel like uh, all the morning shows, and if God forbid there was a tragedy here in New York now, I'd be the guy and, to stick around. And believe it or not, even on that day, I got myself into double trouble. The city of Patterson wanted to sue me. Why? The uh, the guy, the publicist for the city of Patterson, named Bob Grant, ironically. Not the same Bob after Grant. the No, but after the king of all talk radio, Bob Grant, my mentor, I had announced... That young men, Palestinian young men, had gotten onto the steps of the library on South Main Street in the south side of Patterson, an Arabic area, and were cheering the implosion of the World Trade Center site. City of Patterson said he would sue me. Years later, I was proven to be correct. Did they ever apologize to me, Sid? The moral of the story is don't argue with Curtis. Odds are he's going to be correct and be a man. Step up one day and apologize. Curtis, thank you for coming in this morning. You're good as always. Thank you. That's a great Curtis Sliwa, folks. Check him out noon to 1 coming up this weekday afternoon.